Minus 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfume. Oh my goodness. Five, four, three, two, one. From inside the warehouse at Oriole Park at Camden Yards, it is the Masson All Access Podcast. Paul Mancano and Brendan Mortensen popping the theoretical, the hypothetical, the metaphorical champagne, if you will. Because here we are with baseball back in our lives, Brendan. Baseball. Players and the owners, MLB and the MLBPA have come to an agreement within the past 24 hours on a new CBA. It was ratified. I believe Delaware was the first state to ratify, uh, and they put it into action. Free agency started shortly thereafter. We're going to talk about what the Orioles have done so far this offseason. Quick recap. We're going to talk about the CBA itself and some of the new rules that are in place. We're going to talk about where the Orioles go from here as Teams scramble over the, le- the remaining free agents. They get their rosters set for spring training. Spring training begins in earnest on Sunday, but players can start showing up to the Ed Smith Stadium complex as soon as right now and get ready for spring training. But Brendan, wow, feels great to be back. Yeah, a full 162-game season is happening, which seemed dead in the water a week ago. Well, it didn't seem like that. It was because games were canceled by Commissioner Rob Manfred announcing that the first two series of the year were canceled. And then there was speculation that more would be canceled as well. But we have opening day on April 7th with a full 162 game season. It was not a unanimous yes on the new CBA. The MLP MLBPA voted 26 to 12. So there was still some question marks, but it does seem like some really good progress was made on both sides and and especially for the players getting a lot of the things that they were hoping to accomplish going into these negotiations. Yeah, let's run through it real quick. At least on the season side, you just mentioned that games were in fact canceled and as soon as, as recently as a couple days ago, opening day was going to be for the Orioles April 15th. Around baseball, it was going to be April 14th. And then those games suddenly magically reappeared on the schedule. April 7th is now opening day uh, for baseball in general. And April uh, 11th is going to be the Orioles' home opener. Uh, So really all of this schedule machinations and schedule changes, it is reverting back to 162-game season, but it is in a weird way. They're going to make up the games that they're missing in the first week of the season by adding games onto the end of the season. And I believe by having a couple nine inning double headers during the season with against the teams whose games they had canceled at the beginning of the season. Right. So they will play 162 and opening day round baseball is going to be April 8th. Yeah. And especially with the new expanded playoffs, which is now a 12 team postseason with the top two division winners earning first round buys it's important that they did a full 162-game season because if you are expanding the postseason, you don't want then the regular season to be shortened because then it just feels like you're really diminishing the value of those regular season games and it feels like with another playoff team added in each league, 
those playoff teams could kind of be all over the place if the regular season was not 162 games. Well, and I'm I'm partial to 162 because I think it makes it so difficult to judge seasons. Baseball is all about history and stats, and when you have seasons of differing lengths, it makes it very difficult to look at a player's season in a season that was not 162 games and compare it to seasons past, which were 162. And the fact that it has been 162 for so long makes it so easy for us to literally compare seasons by of Babe Ruth to seasons of Albert Pujols or of Mike Trout. So, you know, I, I love the fact that it is still 162. Money was clearly the biggest hurdle that had to be cleared here, Brendan, and $50 million going to a pre-arbitration bonus pool dispersed to players with less than three years of service time who perform well. That was a major factor in this decision getting done. Both sides had agreed to a pre-arb bonus pool early in the process. It was just getting that number to a a spot where both teams were acceptable. And then on the draft side, another big uh, hurdle to clear as well, the draft lottery. It's something we've seen instituted in the NBA, in the NHL, and now it comes to baseball. We're getting a draft lottery for the first six picks in the draft, but fear not. That's not coming till 2023. So the Baltimore Orioles still maintain the number one overall selection in 2022. Yeah, the Orioles kind of caught the sweet spot for this draft because the last three years, obviously the Orioles have had very good draft picks, and luckily the draft lottery is not being implemented until 2023, like you said, so the Orioles will still have their choice of prospect at the very top of next year's MLB draft, but it seems like the general theme here was that the players wanted more money, teams to spend more money, and they wanted teams to be more competitive, and that's what these two are doing the pre-arbitration bonus pool going to players that are not arbitration eligible yet it's rewarding younger players for good performance like a player like John Means before he was arbitration eligible was not making a lot of money even though he was an all-star in his first year so John Means a good example there and then obviously the draft lottery meant to shy teams away from tanking essentially yeah and uh, other kind of measures that were put in place uh, to get guys up to the big leagues faster, something that will directly impact the Orioles, I think, most likely, is the fact that uh, a full year's worth of service time is going to be rewarded to players that finish in the top two in rookie of the year voting in both the American League and National League and teams that promote top prospects on opening day that finish in the top of major award races will be awarded picks Think of Adley Rutschman. This right. is a this is who really comes to mind this season when thinking about that because if he were to make the opening day roster, we don't know exactly what kind of picks would transpire, but it sounds like that could be in the Orioles' benefit as Adley's probably going to be if he makes the opening day roster. Frankly, even if he doesn't, even if he's called up in May or even early June, he is going to be a favorite to finish in the top three or top two for Rookie of the Year. Yeah, not only Adley Rutschman, but Grayson Rodriguez probably would be too if Grayson Rodriguez were called up on opening day. I think Grayson Rodriguez would have a pretty good shot at being American League Rookie of the Year as well. I think this goes more towards Adley, though. Grayson Rodriguez, I think, does not have as high of a chance as cracking the opening day roster as Adley does. But I, I think the big thing here, like you said, Paul, is that 
we're going to have to figure out what exactly that draft pick compensation is going to be. We are, but just based off this information that we're given, Brendan, and we'll get to the rest of the rules in just a bit. If you had to guess, water gun to your back, as to whether Adley Rushman will make the opening day roster based on these new rules, would you say yes? It's really hard to say without knowing what the draft pick is. Do you think that this factors into the Orioles' decisions in terms of going after free agent catchers? That's the other question. Well, so, I th- so I think it's kind of going to be a domino effect. Right. I think once we know what the draft pick compensation is, I mean, if if somehow it turns into a draft pick where you promote Adley on opening day and he wins rookie of the year and then all of a sudden you get a draft pick within the first three to five rounds... I think the Orioles do that because a top three to five round draft pick is pretty great compensation for losing a year, not losing a year of service time for Adley Rutschman, but you are calling him up at that point before you were probably initially planning to. Well, and you know, it basically the other rule, the other part of this is a full year service time going to a player that finishes in the top two. So if they bring him up in May and he puts together a great four months or four and a half months, and he finishes in the top two. Even though it's not within the service time realm, he could still get a full year's worth of service Right, but then that becomes the issue of, do you want to call him up? You don't want to call him up too early to have him finish in the top two, because then you don't want the full year of service time. So it could work both ways. Right, which is why you get the draft pick. Right. On the flip side of that. So it's it's built in to help the player and team there, kind of. Um, And I would think that that draft pick is going to be a pretty good one because I would think so. Otherwise, it's not going to be a 20 well there no the, the draft by the way is going to stick at 20. So 20 rounds it's it's not going to be uh you know a 40 round draft like we saw in previous years. So it's sticking to 2021 format. So I don't think it's going to be like a 19th round pick. Right. And I think the draft pick would have to be good enough because otherwise every team in this situation would do the same thing. They would just say, well, right. a draft pick in the 15th round or probably even the 10th round isn't good enough to lose a year of service time on one of our top players. So right. I think the draft pick will have to be pretty good. And if it's good enough, I think the Orioles could add Adley Rutschman to their opening day roster. He is good enough to be their opening day starting catcher at this point from all accounts and, of course, how he's played in the minor leagues. And then all of a sudden... The Orioles don't really need a catcher. Well, yeah, I mean they they have Jacob Nottingham and Anthony Bemboom, who they whom they signed to minor league deals with invitations to spring training, but still zero catchers, as we've said a million times this offseason, on the forty man roster. So door is wide open for Adley, and the Orioles could still change that. And I think it's probably to their benefit to add somebody regardless, whether that's a, a one million dollar major league deal or just another quality veteran on a minor league deal. I think they're going to need a backstop, a backup backstop, if you will. Um, you know, I, I I think that they will need to add somebody. Period. Whether or not Adley makes the opening day roster, however, this very much opens the door for Adley to be your starting catcher on opening day. And I th- I think you're right. I think the Orioles will probably still look to add another catcher, but I think it becomes somebody that you are completely content with being your backup for the entire year versus if you weren't calling up Adley, it's somebody who is going to be your backup for half the year, but he's going to have to start at the first half of the year until you call up Adley. So I think that changes the equation a little bit. But somebody like an Austin Romine, who has been kind of a career backup, has bounced around the league a lot, 
it would be really valuable for Adley Rutschman to have somebody like Romine there. We've kind of seen around the league, the Nationals did it last year with Alex Avila, where you kind of bring in a veteran catcher and he doesn't play all that much, but it's just a really valuable presence to have in the clubhouse and a really valuable presence to have for the younger catcher on the roster. So I think that would be great for Adley. Well, and there is going to be a universal DH as well. So all of their games will feature DH even the games that are played in National League parks against National League opponents. So there will always be a spot in the roster for either Ryan Mountcastle, Trey Mancini, Anthony Santander, or a backup catcher, depending on how those guys are hitting. So they will need nine guys for their lineup in addition to the pitcher all the time. Uh, Some other rules as well, kicking the can down the road on the international draft. So essentially this was... Uh, an issue that was introduced kind of late into the process, um, but it's something that has been talked about for a long time. The Orioles have, over the last three years, built up their international presence from scratch. And switching over to an international draft wouldn't necessarily, you know, get rid of an advantage of building up that international presence. They'll still need a strong scouting department to scout these kids from the time when they start playing baseball up until the time when they're draft eligible. And Kobe Perez is still going to be a huge, huge part of that process. And he's going to need to have the kind of, you know, scouting chops and a full scouting department in order to, to make sure that they get the most out of that international market. But basically they're waiting to see if they can get the terms of this international draft, right. And they have until July 25th to do so. So, If they do get an international draft, like I said, I don't think Kobe Perez's role is any less important, but it does change the way that he does business. And, you know, the the relationships that you make with these kids is way less important than it is as of right now. It's less about making relationships with these kids at a younger age and finding out how to allocate your money and more about just finding out who the best players are, period. Yeah, and I don't think the scouting will change all that much. We'll probably see, if the international draft is implemented, I think we'll probably just see international scouts and domestic scouts for the MLB draft have pretty similar roles from the sounds of things. And there, as of right now, are a bunch of arguments that I've heard on both sides from players, from agents, whoever it might be. But it's important that they kicked this down the road because this was not going to get done more than likely was not going to get done in time for there to be a full 162 game season and it's not impacting the game on the field it's not impacting current major league players so the point here being that yes this is an important thing that needs to get figured out but it shouldn't prevent major league baseball from having a full 2022 season and it's not even something that needs to get figured out relatively soon because They're currently in the midst of the 2022 international draft period, but a new one doesn't begin until 2023. Right. So there there are teams out there with still a little bit of money to spend. You can still spend money on prospects who are still going to be declaring and, and sign these guys. However, most of the good players of this period have been signed. So... They have a while to figure this out, and I think both sides agreed that they want to make sure they get this thing right because it's going to be difficult to do, and I think for a lot of people who aren't down there or aren't aren't involved in the international process, it's hard to see exactly what this needs and how to grow the game in the international market. So I'm glad that 
both these sides are going to figure out exactly how to make this work to everyone's advantage. Uh, another thing for impacting the game on the field itself, postseason field expands to 12 teams with the top two division winners each earning first-round buys. So that means you're going to have division winners, three in the National League, three in the American League, in addition to three wildcard teams in each league. Postseason buys for the first time, and basically the the other four teams in each league are going to fight it out with best of three series, and the home the better team, team with a better record, higher seed, gets home field advantage for that first wild card round, so to speak. Yeah, good for the Orioles. I mean, there's more teams in the playoffs, higher percent chance of making the playoffs. Another thing that's good for the Orioles as well, Paul, starting in 2023, there will be fewer division games and teams will be playing every other team in Major League Baseball. So the Orioles in the toughest division in all of baseball as of right now, the AL East, will not have to play all of those teams as often as they have been, which is huge. It's awesome. For the Orioles, I mean, this could not be, this cannot be understated. I mean, cannot be overstated, excuse me. We, hey, it, we, it definitely could be understated. Could be understated. We yeah. won't understate it, though, because we will not. I, this is great. I mean, previously, and in 2022, you're going to play, the Orioles are playing 19 games against the Red Sox, 19 games against the Yankees, 19 games against the Rays, 19 games against the Blue Jays. All four of those teams have playoff aspirations. Three of those teams, at least, maybe all four, have World Series aspirations. I think you could argue all four all are four. World Series caliber teams. Yeah, and and to play a huge bulk of your 162-game season against these four teams, and let's be honest, the Yankees aren't going anywhere, the Red Sox aren't going anywhere, the Blue Jays have a young core that's probably going to be good for a long time, and the Rays are just a machine that churns out incredibly competitive teams year after year, no matter what the payroll is, these teams aren't going anywhere. So in 2023, when this rule comes into effect, the Orioles are going to get a little bit of a break because they're, yes, still competing against these teams in terms of the standings, but being in the, the hardest division, the most competitive division in baseball won't be as much a hindrance as it was before next season. Right, and... It's just good for baseball in general. I love it. Getting yeah. to play every team every year. You won't necessarily get to see every team in your home ballpark every year. So, like, the Orioles won't host the Dodgers every you, year. But you do every other year. But you do every other year, which is really cool for the game. I mean, a point was made on, on MLB Network earlier. Philly fans will get to see Mike Trout. Mike Trout grew up in Philly. He's a huge Philly guy. Right. Philadelphia Phillies fans had not been able to see Mike Trout because the Angels so seldomly played in Philadelphia against the Phillies, and now they'll get to see him every two years. I think of, that's cool. Yeah, I mean, I, I you don't get to see. I mean, I think of like Juan Soto. Well, Juan Soto, I mean, you have the Battle of the Beltway, so the Orioles fans are always going to get to see Juan Soto. But like Ronald Acuna Jr., just based off the current schedule, Orioles fans are not going to get to see him in Baltimore very often. And he's one of the young stars of the game. And for fans that are watching the Orioles every night or they're watching their team wherever they are every night, you just don't have time or aren't interested enough to watch games in other markets. You, you can't watch every game. And, and also with West Coast games, I mean, y y if you want to watch Mike Trout play, you have to stay up till 10 p.m. most nights. And it's hard to find those games unless you have MLB at bat. And, you know, it's... So getting to see these guys up close, whether you buy tickets to the game and you see them in person or just tuning in and getting to watch these guys... 
I think is huge in terms of creating and growing the star power of this game so that every baseball fan knows who these guys are and you don't have anonymous superstars like you did in years past. Yeah, it's just a really cool way to grow the game. And for people who missed a little bit more of the traditional baseball that we got away from a little bit, no more ghost runner in extra innings, so a runner will not be starting on second base to begin extra innings. And we're back to nine-inning doubleheaders, like you mentioned before talking about the schedule. No more seven-inning doubleheaders. Yep, uh, which you know is, is going to be tough for us for our late nights. You know, if we long we, day, but long day for us, but we're happy to do it because seven innings was weird, weird, very weird. Also, the ghost runner was weird. And I think that a lot of people didn't like it. Yeah, a lot of people didn't. It was just a strange uh, kind of, you know, mechanism that was added to the game. And I understand why it was tried, because the league is going to try as many things as possible to speed up the game, to shorten the dead periods of the game and to make this game more exciting and accessible to fans. So I understand that, but that rule goes away with the possibility that a lot of rules could change, especially next off season. So it's a little too late to change the game dramatically on the field for this year, but I think we're going to see Brendan, a lot of rules changed in 2023. Yeah, absolutely. And before we get into the fact that the rule five draft has been canceled, Aww. one detail I saw that was pretty cool. And I just wanted to point out ESPN's Marley Rivera tweeted each team will make available English as a second language and Spanish as a second language courses at the team's expense, provided at least one player on the team requests it before mid-April each year. I thought that was cool. Yeah. It's a, good, it's a good way to grow the game. There's, It's such an international game now, and a lot of guys coming over and playing with these major league clubs, English is not their first language. So just a small detail that I thought was cool. Teams will now be providing those kinds of courses if the players want it. Yeah couple other minor things to get out of the way. Players can only be optioned five times per season, no more. So that kind of keeps it from, especially, you know, the Orioles, it's not a huge deal because you're going back and forth between Norfolk and Baltimore. So four-hour drive, it's a, you know, it's a bit of a hike. But think of other teams that have affiliates, a plane ride away, a four-hour, five-hour plane ride away. That can be annoying, and it can be wearing on a player who is getting called back and forth between the minor league teams and the big league team. Minimum salary increases from uh, $2,700,000 and the luxury tax is up to $230 million in the first year. Uh, and I believe a fourth tier of the luxury tax was also added, meaning, you know, essentially teams that spend beyond the first three and get to the fourth tier, they have a higher penalty than they would have if they stayed in the third tier. Yeah, that that option rule, I think really the only way that that's going to impact the Orioles, I could potentially seeing it impact them, is when you're talking about some younger pitchers who maybe the Orioles need them for a bullpen here or there, so they'll call them up, but they're mostly bouncing back and forth between AAA. I don't think it'll make that much of a difference because no. I don't believe there was any young pitcher that was optioned that many times this year, but there were some players that went back and forth, so at least it's worth noting. This reminds me of the rule that they implemented a couple years ago, limiting the number of mound visits, where they kept it to six mound visits per game per team, and it's like you're you're adding that rule because you want to eventually lower that number, so you want to put the rule in place, but how many times... <laughs> How many teams are using our mound visits? All all six of them. Right. Most often, you're probably using four at most. So it's just kind of in place. So this, I think, is similar, where they, they want to maybe eventually get this number down below five 
in terms of number of times you can option per season. So they're adding the precedent. But I can't really imagine that this would affect the Orioles much at all. No, I don't or, think so. Or any team, frankly. No. Um, so that's pretty much it for the CBA. Is there anything else that we missed that might be changed or added? Bro? Well, the Rule 5 draft is a big yes. one that we do need to talk about because, Paul, you and I Upsetting. did our big Rule 5 draft preview podcast yes, where we, we broke did. down all the potential prospects that the Orioles could draft in the Rule 5 draft because Mike Elias has been incredibly active in the Rule 5 draft over his Baltimore tenure, but it's not a thing this year. Well, the Orioles in general have been the most active franchise in the Rule 5 draft right. since 2005. They made at least one pick every year since and including 2005. So they have used it more than any other team. It's their John, and it is... Uh, the fact that it's going away this year, Brendan, is is sad. It doesn't sound like it's going to go away this December. It sounds like it'll still be in place in, at the end of the year, but they figured, and we, we kind of saw this coming, based on the fact that teams have a new influx of information, based on the fact that the minor league spring training has already begun and minor league season is set to begin right around the same time that uh, the big league season is going to begin, it just made it a much different equation so teams couldn't really take everything into account and some teams might feel slighted if they left somebody exposed that they didn't want to etc yeah and quite frankly this probably hurts the Orioles more than it hurts any other team in baseball because the Orioles were most likely at least we had speculated going to add one pitcher we thought at least one whether that was a starter or a reliever and they might added, have added a position player as well. And some of the guys that we threw out there, Paul, seemed like players that could make an immediate impact at the big league level, potentially even be starters, some of those position players. So it hurts the Orioles. But on the other side of the coin, you now ensure that you are keeping a guy like Robert Newstrom, Adam Hall. Those guys are going to be in Baltimore this year. I will say... The Orioles also had the number one overall pick in the World 5 draft. Right. So, you know, no matter how many teams were going to take guys, it hurts the Orioles because they had the first selection. Yeah. You know, so they had their pick of the litter, and they don't get that anymore. And Michael Elias probably planned, he plans his offseason not around the Rule 5 draft, but it's a big part of that. However, I'm sure that he saw the writing on the wall in terms of lockout, as everybody did. So he probably had at least the possibility in mind that this was not going to be a thing by the time the lockout ended. So I, I don't think he's caught off guard, but I think he probably, he had some plans in mind. He had some players in mind that he was going to take with that number one overall pick in the Rule 5 draft, and, and that is out the window. Yeah, it doesn't make or break your season, but the Orioles are certainly a different team without Tyler Wells. So this is true. you could look at the Orioles this year and, and maybe think, well, if they had been able to draft a pitcher in the Rule 5 draft... Maybe that makes an impact. Yeah, maybe it does. Um, it, it's upsetting for us just because of the amount of information that we gathered about these players. And, and Brendan, a whole lot. thank goodness that we got that content out there because we would have just been sitting on this knowledge and information that nobody would want to hear or care about. Right. And, and nobody did anyway. I was, I was going to say, well, if the Rule 5 draft were a thing, I don't know if anybody would have liked or cared about the information that we gathered, but at least we would have had the perception that maybe people would have. We, we still got some views, some comments. My favorite was once the lockout ended and uh, the... Somebody chirped us. Somebody <laughs> chirped us. I don't think they were chirping. I think they were just... It was a, it was a friendly banter. They said, uh, 
you know, rest in peace, your Rule 5 Draft podcast. Yeah. Tough to see it. But it lived in glory for two days before it it became utterly irrelevant. It was great content for the 48 hours that it existed. Look, I mean, Brendan, for all we know, it's 5.30-ish on Friday. The Orioles could go out and sign six guys at 6 p.m., and this podcast could be utterly irrelevant. Now, and I would almost go as far as to say they probably will because that's what usually happens. Yeah, I mean, just based off, off history and timing of these these kind of things, right. odds are, you know, as soon as you fall asleep, news breaks. That's typically kind of how it happens. Uh, it is kind of strange, though. We're now, you know, as, as mentioned, about 24 hours into the uh, official new league year. Not Yeah, new league year, I guess, so to speak. No, I guess a new league year probably started in... October? I don't know. We're at the lockout's over. Lockout's Free agency over. <laughs> part two. Uh, you know, the transaction freeze has ended, but we didn't see the deluge of signings that some predicted. I'll go ahead and say, out myself, I predicted, uh, that we would see, that we've seen in the NBA or that we've seen in the NFL, where the second the lockout ends, the second players can be signed, we start seeing all these reported deals fly in. Now, Teams couldn't negotiate with players during the lockout, but I thought at least they would have an idea of where the players stood money-wise, the agent stood, and where the team stood in terms of thinking about these guys. So I thought they would come to agreements pretty quickly, but I also understand the rules of the game have changed. So the DH is now in place in the National League, whereas it wasn't three months ago, and the luxury tax numbers have changed, the minimum salary numbers have changed, we could get some changes to the roster size, so I understand that that changes the equation. That probably gives some teams some pause and extra things to consider before they go out and they offer a player money. But are you surprised by how kind of slowly the news has come out in drips and drabs over the first 24 hours here? I am because I think a lot of us were kind of operating under a similar assumption to what we see in the NFL and the NBA where the signing period hasn't opened yet and then all of a sudden, yeah. 30 seconds later, everybody agrees to deals And it's kind of a, everybody knows that those deals didn't just get negotiated within the last 30 seconds. Right. They were talking when they weren't really supposed to be talking. And I think a lot of us were operating under the assumption that during the lockout, while nothing was able to become official, a lot of people assumed that a similar thing would happen where these deals would kind of come out of nowhere seemingly about a minute after the lockout ended. And then everyone would go, how did they negotiate that deal in the last 30 seconds? Well, I will say it happens more, slightly more in the NBA than it does in the NFL. But I, and I think that's partly because, say what you want about the luxury tax, but MLB does not have a salary cap, so they don't have a a salary cap in the books. They're the only leagues that doesn't league that doesn't. So I think what a lot of teams do before free agency starts is they literally map out exactly how they're going to spend each dollar that they have available. And especially in the NBA where you have specific terms, you have a max contract, so to speak. The only max contract you have in in MLB is Max Scherzer's contract because that is as close to a max contract as you can get. See what I did there, Brian? Yeah, that was a good Three years, $130 million. That's a ton of money. But that could have been, for all we know, three years, 300 million, you know, because you can make deals as big as you possibly want, as as big as you want. It just depends on how much you were willing to spend in terms of luxury tax. So my point being, I think that it's much easier for teams to say Kawhi Leonard and LeBron James and, you know, James Harden, you guys get the max deal. That's the most we can give you. You know it. We know it. There's no negotiating here. 
you're a star player, you get a max contract. Right. You can negotiate with other guys, but you know, you you already have in place a set number, a set dollar amount for each guy, so to speak, you know, and you can negotiate the rest of them, but for max guys, you have max and you have a minimum salary, so it's different. Yeah, and the stars in Major League Baseball are not going to rush to a new deal. I right. think that's the important thing to keep in mind. Carlos Correa, yes, he wants to sign a deal at some point relatively soon because he wants to get to spring training, but Carlos Correa is not so concerned with spring training that he is going to settle for a deal less than what he is worth right now. Freddie Freeman, same thing. He's a veteran. He has proven himself. He doesn't need to show up to spring training at the crack of dawn as soon as you're able to. Freddie Freeman is going to wait for a deal that works for him, and they're going to not settle. Right. And and because he can, you know, he gets a certain offer, Freddie Freeman gets, all right, $200 million, he can go call up another team. His agent calls up, you know, the Yankees and says, you know, the Braves just gave us are offering 200. How about you give us 205? Whereas basketball, you can't do that. You go, right. Well, this is literally the most amount of money any team can possibly spend on you. Um, so you can just keep negotiating and, and negotiating and negotiating and just wait um, to see what other teams do. And I think not like they were the first, you know, he was the first player to do this, but when Bryce Harper waited a couple years, a couple years, a couple weeks into spring training before he signed his deal with the Phillies, that made it kind of took off the taboo of, well, he's got to be there for pitchers and catchers, or he's got to be there the first day of spring training. It's you Bryce know, Harper. It's, it's, yeah, he's going to wait for the best deal. Who cares if you're there on the first day of spring training? It matters that you get the contract that you want because that's the important thing. So it, not like he was the first player to do that, but I'm saying star players aren't afraid of missing you know, the first couple days of spring training. It, what matters is you get the contract you want, not that you're there on the report date. Right. We have not seen really any stars signed so far. The biggest name to go off the board as of right now, Carlos Rodon to the Giants on a two-year deal. The Orioles not really in on him as they were not probably really in on any stars in this free agent market at this point, unless you want to count the Carlos Correa rumors, (laughs) in which case, knock yourself out. But the Orioles, I think more than likely, it doesn't change too much what we were talking about before the lockout started, their targets are probably going to be the same, which is a veteran starting pitcher, a third baseman probably, maybe a shortstop, and depending on what you want to do with Adley Rutschman, the conversation we had before, maybe a catcher. I think starting pitcher becomes more important. Pitcher in general becomes more important considering you don't have the Rule 5 draft. I agree. Because I think the Orioles were absolutely going to take at least one pitcher, whether it be with their first round pick or their second round pick in the major league phase of the Rule 5 draft. And I think they were not banking on it, like I said. I think Michael Elias knew that this was a possibility, but they were hoping to get one player out of that. So I think the fact that they're no longer getting a Rule 5 draft pick pitcher means that they probably need to sign somebody. Yeah, some starting pitchers that I jotted down that the Orioles might be looking at. Aaron Sanchez, Chris Archer. Aaron Sanchez is my favorite guy. Yeah, Aaron Sanchez we've brought up a few times. Chris Archer I've brought up a few times. Uh, Carlos Martinez falls into a similar category. Just guys who have been injured the last few years, need a prove-it deal, and in the past had shown really elite stuff. Matthew Boyd is an interesting name. He is maybe a little bit above the Orioles' price range because he was pretty good for Detroit the last few years, and he's another lefty, so I'm not sure if the Orioles will want to go down that direction. And then Julio Tehran. 
Same kind of thing. Needs to prove it deal. Out of that list, Carlos Martinez is probably my favorite name. I know Aaron Sanchez is yours. It also depends on what the Orioles do here, whether they hand a major league deal to somebody or a minor league deal. Last offseason, we saw Matt Harvey, Felix Hernandez get minor league deals around this time. The Orioles just gave them shots at a million dollars. You make the club, you make a million dollars. Do the Orioles want to do that, or do they want to hand somebody a major league deal? And considering they gave somebody, you know, they gave uh, Jordan Lyles a one-year, $7 million guaranteed contract, I think they're probably going to want to rather spend that money on a couple, you know, use minor league deals here as, as opposed to another major league deal, especially when you have so many pitchers that you don't want to block, whether it be Mike Bauman, Alexander Wells, Zach Lowther, Dean Kramer, those guys. Yeah, my guess is either a minor league deal for a starting pitcher that you hope breaks camp and is maybe your number three starter going forward or a major league deal where you're only handing out a million, two million, three million, somewhere in that range. Who do you want of the non-starting pitchers? Are there any guys out there that you are looking for middle infield in particular? We've touched on him in past, but just just curious. Just want to want to hear a couple more names so that you get them in people's heads before the Orioles actually sign them. Yeah, I mean Jonathan VR has yeah. been the name that we've tossed around a lot just because it would be a reunion, and I think he could start pretty much right away at third base. Nico Goodrum is a name that I really like. He's 30 years old, has had some decent seasons in Detroit, and not not bad. He's a pretty good utility guy. He can play all over the field, and it would be really valuable for the Orioles to have somebody who you could start at shortstop or you could start at second. He could probably play third base as well, and he can also man, I think, all three spots in the outfield, if not all three, then definitely left and right. Yeah, played 90 games last year, hit 214 with a 651 OPS. But for these guys, you're you're not looking at, again, we don't expect them to be major players for a big-time middle infielder. We're just talking about stop caps here or just depth signings. Yeah, Nico Goodrum last year had 60 games at shortstop, 10 in the outfield, that's four in center and six in left, and then also started eight games at second base. Uh, I personally, I'm, uh, he was the winner of our free agency bracket, but I still love the idea of Marwin Gonzalez. I know he did not have a good offensive season last year, hit 214 for the Red Sox, but he's got the Houston connection. He has that versatility like a Nico Goodrum has. He's only 33, so he's not that old. Um, and you can throw him around at different positions, have him be a nice veteran presence on your team that could end up being valuable as a trade piece by midseason. Yeah, and not to open this entire can of worms again, I think if you're looking for a starter in the infield, it's a starter at third base. Yeah. I think if you are looking for a starter at shortstop, it has to be a pretty high-end one because otherwise I would not want to block Jorge Mateo out of that spot. So if you're looking at a higher-end shortstop, if it's not Carlos Correa... I think you look at Andrelton Simmons. Well, I think what we're going to do, Brendan, is we're going to stay close to the studio, close to our microphones, and we're going to try to go live as as soon as we get any kind of breaking news. You know, I can't guarantee that because if something happens at 2.45 in the morning, I, I might be asleep. Well, we're certainly going to try. Should we take shifts? You know, like man Twitter. Like we're on the Night's Watch or something? Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't watch. Uh, is that Game of Thrones? It is. But yeah, you know, like we just stay up and man Twitter, turn off all the lights and we just, you know, constantly refreshing Twitter. That's what we've been doing the last couple of days, as I'm sure every baseball fan has been doing, just refreshing Twitter constantly, 
turning on notifications for Evan Drellick and Drellick or Drellich? Drellick. Who knows? Uh, yeah, so if something happens with the Orioles at like 3 a.m. and you happen to be awake, just at Paul Mancato or at Brendan Morty a bunch of times, and maybe the notifications will wake us up. It won't. Because it won't, but I don't have my free yeah. engagement. Sure, you're just throwing our, yeah. You're, you know what? Give them their cell phone number just so that they can give you a buzz. At just, just call me if something happens. Yeah, call me in set repeatedly, just constantly, you know. So I won't have if the it's ringer on. Do on. Not, if it's on Do Not Disturb, it'll get through on the second ring, though. I, I won't have the ringer on, but I'll appreciate your effort. Um, yeah, worth it. Um, <laughs> I am, Brendan, exhausted? Yeah, it's been a long few days. Paul. I mean, I am just, I'm getting by on, on, on Chinese dumplings and coffee and McDonald's. A lot's been and happening. I feel like it's going to get so much worse. It, <laughs> it like, really might. Because they still have to make all these moves and all these guys still have to sign. But by worse, we mean better I because mean, we'll I, be here. I relish the work. I shouldn't be complaining. <laughs> I love the. I love getting to cover. I, I would so much rather cover these kind of signings and these kind of roster moves than the alternative, than not getting to do it. Right. And if, if 2020 and 2021 have brought us anything, it is appreciating how good we have it when the good times are here. So I'm not going to be complaining. I'm just going to be exhausted. That's all. It's a hectic time, but it is it is a it's gonna good be fun. hectic. It's it's going to be fun. We're going to be glued to Twitter, so please tweet at us, as as Brendan mentioned, at Brendan Morty, at Paul Mancano, um, and keep us surprised. And, and we will try to go live as early as we get any kind of breaking news on all of our channels on Mass and Orioles, on YouTube, and on Facebook. And of course, you can catch the podcast on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, anywhere you get your podcasts. You can get the Mass and All Access podcast in addition to watching this thing on the Masson app as well. So stay tuned to MassonSports.com. Thanks so much for tuning in, and hopefully we will be talking very soon, potentially with some Orioles breaking news. 